Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. A recent clash between pro-Palestinian Muslims and pro-Israeli Christians in the North Sulawesi coastal town of Bitung raised the specter of Indonesia's worst nightmare, intercommunal violence. In a country that prides itself on a culture of intercommunal harmony, the death of a protester set off alarm bells. This is very worrying, said Yahya Tolil Stokuf, chairman of Naratul Ulama, the world's largest and most moderate Muslim civil society movement. Mr. Stakuf, popularly known as Pakyahya, spoke at a one-day summit in Jakarta of religious leaders, convened to define religion's role in addressing Middle East violence and threats to a rules-based international order. President Joko Widodo cautioned in his opening remarks at the summit, planned before the Sulawesi incident, that Indonesia's principle of unity and diversity can only be achieved if religious leaders teach that love of nation and tolerance of differences while maintaining unity constitutes faith. In a call for action, the summit of Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, Evangelical, Buddhist, and Shinto religious leaders urged religious authorities of every faith and nation to marshal the power and influence of their respective communities to impact decision-making circles, halt armed conflicts raging in the Middle East, Europe, Sub-Saharan Africa, and other regions of the world, and develop effective mechanisms for dialogue and negotiation that may lead towards the peaceful resolution of such conflicts. To be sure, to ensure that the statement is not just one more lofty declaration with no legs, religious leaders will have to take real-world steps. Attendees vowed to propagate their message in their communities and lobby their governments. Even so, it will take more than that for religious leaders to become a constructive rather than a destructive force that fuels ethnic and religious tensions, as is the case in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The potential role for moderate religious leaders is enhanced by the fact that the Gaza war has emerged as a polarizing factor in countries across the globe. In the case of Indonesia, Analyst Iman Lamti cautioned in an RSAS commentary that the situation in Gaza and the future of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will have greater domestic political salience in Indonesia, with significant consequences for Indonesian foreign policy and Jakarta's relations with the Association of Southeast Asian Nation member states and ASEAN dialogue partners. Living up to their promises at the Jakarta summit, religious leaders, particularly Jewish and Muslim, will likely have to forcefully confront the prevalent dehumanization and demonization of the other in their respective communities, a position that Nadatul Ulama 
has long sought to counter. So far, Nadatul Ulama and many other moderate religious leaders appear committed to adopting U.S. President Joe Biden's notion of the bear hug. The notion is based on the belief that an embrace often grants greater leverage than public criticism. In the case of religious leaders, it's an approach that has so far yielded at best marginal results. Ahmed al Tayyib, the Grand Imam of Egypt's Al Azhar University, a 1053 year old citadel of Islamic learning that has uncritically supported Gaza in the war with Israel, bowed out of the summit at the last minute saying he had to attend to urgent domestic Egyptian issues. Nadatul Ulama Chairman Stakouf's International Affairs Advisor, C. Holland Taylor, a.k.a. Mohammed Khalil, noted that Muslim World League Secretary General Mohammed Al-Issa embraced the Indonesian group's call for strengthening the post-World War II international order in a video address to the Jakarta summit. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has turned the Muslim World League into a tool for propagating his autocratic version of moderate Islam that is socially more liberal and seeks to enhance the kingdom's geopolitical clout while repressing any form of criticism or dissent and demanding absolute obedience to the ruler. For much of its more than six-decade history, the League was a key vehicle in the kingdom's decades-long global propagation of Wahhabism and Salafism, ultra-conservative, austere, and Puritan interpretations of Islam. Bringing Saudi influence to bear to strengthen the international order is significant. Improving the functioning of the institutions of the international order, including the United Nations, was one purpose of the Jakarta summit, Mr. Taylor said. What Nadatul Ulama has set out to achieve is aspirational, bold, and ideational. The movement for reform of religious jurisprudence and or supremacist and discriminatory precepts challenges concepts of morality, ethics, and principles and spotlights much of the world's double standard. It also challenges autocrats who reduce religion to a pillar of autocratic rule and deprive it of its key role in civil society of a politically, pluralistic, and open society, raising questions about the role of men like Messieurs Al-Tayeb and Al-Issa in moves that oppose what they stand for. That is particularly true given that the quest for reform of religious law and jurisprudence helps frame debates about the rule of law and a 21st century world order, even if change is likely to be generational in shaping fundamental and instinctive attitudes. To be sure, Nadatul Ulama has gone where most advocacy groups, religious or otherwise, have not. It has sought to break out of silos, reinforced by social media. Nadatul Ulama has done so by not simply calling on religious 
and political others to embrace principles of pluralism, human rights, dignity, and equality, but by proactively engaging with the other and seeking common ground that can create a crowbar for change. Many Muslim religious and political leaders pay lip service to the principles of tolerance, equality, freedom, human rights, and interfaith dialogue. Beyond Nadatul Ulama, few, if any, have sought to enshrine these principles by reforming religious law and jurisprudence to eliminate provisions that are outdated and or contradict the values religious and political leaders claim to be their own. Following a series of Nadatul Ulama gatherings that articulated the notion of a humanitarian Islam that embraces equal rights for all irrespective of religion, race, or creed, political pluralism, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, replaced the Sharia concept of a kafir or infidel with that of a fellow citizen and called for the abolition of the notion of a caliphate in favor of the nation-state, the Jakarta summit was one more building block in Nadatul Ulama's campaign. These may only be the first steps, but they are crucial first steps that deserve to be emulated, nowhere more so than in Israel and Palestine, where the wanton killing of innocent civilians is not only justified by national aspirations and security concerns, but often unconsciously grounded in religious laws that justify and enable it. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you, take care, and best wishes. Thank you.